For the last four years, you came to this podcast to get your needs met, to be fulfilled, to get a pro wrestling, pop culture, and that oh so naughty feeling tingled inside with a little bit of grass sprinkled on top. Now it's time for your hosts, Chad Allen, Shelly Allen, Zach Romero, and Luna Lynn. You are tuned in to the IndyCast. Greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the IndyCast. Chad Allen here with another Barbara Walters special episode. Yep, it's a Barbara Walters special. It's just me and a guest today. Uh, today we have a very special guest with a very special event coming up here, uh, one that we definitely want to bring up. Our friends uh, at Absolute uh, Absolute Intense Wrestling, AIW, have the uh, yearly uh, J-Lit tournament coming up on the way, and we have one of the people that is going to be part of that tournament in a very interesting first-round battle that I'm sure we're going to be talking about shortly here. Uh, we have uh, the absolutely fabulous, I would dare say, uh, the love gun himself. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Mr. Magnum C.K. on with us. Magnum, welcome to the IndyCast. Introduction. I, I don't know if I can live up to all that, but I am, <laughs> I am quite literally, I was bouncing through that introduction. I was so excited. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on, man. Well, welcome welcome to it. Uh, now, Magnum, I don't know if you've ever listened to the show before, but we start every episode with five questions that we like to call the lightning round. Uh, you can answer as quickly or as long as you want, but normally these are the ways that we get rid of some of the really dumb podcast questions that come up on every single show you've ever been on. So we're going to get them out of the way right now. Um, I love that because I, I do a lot of these. I'm very grateful I get to do a lot of these, but I think I've told everyone how I started in wrestling about a hundred times. So this is a well, great idea. So yeah, the, and that's kind of why we do it because I, and I did notice actually, I did notice you have been quite popular on the, uh, on the podcast scene, including with some, uh, I saw some friends of ours. Uh, I think you've been on wrestling cheers recently, uh, who are new oh, podcast yeah. buddies of ours. You were on, um, uh, uh, um, kick out at two recently. Who's another sibling, uh, you know, kind of uh, show of ours. So, um, I'm glad to to kind of continue the tour, as it were. So, well, here, let's get that quick question out of the way. You beat me to it. Who trained you, and when did you debut? Well, I've had two debuts. I uh, I started originally at the end of uh, 2004, and I, with my first actual match, uh, you know, a tag match was my first. Everything else was battle royals and multi-mans and all that. But uh, February 26, 2005 was my first match when I started training earlier in 2004 in wrestling. Uh, and then I wrestled about five years. I'm trying to go quick for the lightning round. I went about five years and uh, got out of the ring for a bit. There are different reasons we can get into that as much as you want. But uh, then I re-debuted in the ring two and a half years ago on my 30th birthday on April 9th, 2016. Very nice. Uh, what is your yeah, first... So- what is your first your first wrestling memory? Um, I grew up around wrestling. My uncle is a promoter and used to be a wrestler, so uh, it's, it's kind of ubiquitous to my entire uh, life. But my first action tangible memory was looking at a picture of the human wrecking machine Zeus getting smashed <laughs> in the face by the Hulkster with a loaded purse. A loaded. Oh God, was that the was that the tag match with him and what was it? Him and Beefcake versus Savage and Zeus. SummerSlam '89. I, was, I, I didn't get the pay per view. I was only three when it happened. But I got the, the WWF magazine that had that the, the 
results. <laughs> I don't know if Zeus should be anybody's first wrestling memory, but that's okay. We'll go with it. Um, other than your own, who has the best robes in professional wrestling? Oh, jeez. Ah, it's a toss-up for me um, between the 80s Macho Man, which is what I've kind of patterned some of my earlier designs off of, or at least the cut, the style, you know, that the way it's cut out, uh, because nobody really does that anymore. And, God, I, I always loved Ric Flair's stuff. It's hard, hard to top Flair. But as far as capes go, you got to go with mid-'80s Macho Man. The one he debuted with uh, in the WWF on his debut match with the with the uh, the dragon and the stars on the front, I believe, and he had the kind of a Japanese feel on the back. It was amazing. So, you know who I don't think gets a lot of credit some days is uh, Rick Rude for some of his robes, too, but that's... Well, that's, he was one of my, Rick Rude was one of my first favorite wrestlers, and when I turned 18, the first thing I did is I went out and got a big fat anchor tattooed on my right arm for Rick nice. Rude, and uh, I was in a, I was in the uh, uh, Battle Royal Gauntlet with, uh, and DJZ was in it, and we, and we both realized that we had Rick Rude tattoos at the same time. <laughs> we were like, nice. <laughs> it's Rick Rude bros, it's, it's like. It's like Eskimo Tattoo Brothers. It's really weird that way. Um, so I uh, I have been notified uh, that you have a theatrical background. Um, so if you could have tickets to, let's pretend we've got a time machine here. If you're uh, if you're a real geek, the TARDIS is here. If you're more of an '80s geek, we have the uh, we have the DeLorean here. You can go to any Broadway show ever. We've got free tickets for you. What show are you going to see? Oh God, that's such a terribly hard question. I would love to see. This is this is a lame answer. I would love to go back and see the original cast of Phantom of the Opera because it's been such a huge show uh, just throughout theater history. But if I can, my number one pick, because my absolute favorite show of all time is the Rocky Horror Show. And uh, it was the first musical I ever did, actually. But uh, it's where I met my wife. And show that means a lot to me. I've always loved the movie and I've always loved the show. I would go back. I would love to see the London cast, the original cast, the, the crappy little piano in the corner of the room. Uh, I would love to see the original cast of Rocky Horror Show. Okay, and you've got you've now got about three things that I'm gonna have to circle back through once we get out of the lightning round here. But final lightning round question, the important one, uh, normally to especially to my wife Shelley, uh, Marvel or DC, and why? Okay, well, growing up, I was originally a DC kid. I always loved Batman, and then I and then around the late '90s. Uh, uh, they, they did Marvel Heroes Reborn. I think it was like 97, 98, something yeah. like that. And then I got crazy into Marvel, and I kind of never looked back. The only DC titles I kept up with is I kept up with GLA a little bit. They did the Rock of Ages storyline. I did some of that. But uh, Batman is about it. It's about as far as I go on DC. Now, with that being said, these days with trade paperbacks and all that, I will occasionally find a nice DC title, but Marvel is just king of the mountain. You can't beat it. It's my favorite by far. Have you seen the most recent uh, movie? Uh, the Avengers? Yes, sir. Yes. You know, I loved it. I, I was way behind. 
because these superhero movies come out, and I feel like it's so hard to get to the movies these days for me. Um, I caught up. I watched like the the Thor Ragnarok, and I loved it. And uh, I have not seen the Guardians of the Galaxy yet, but I watched the Civil War and all that the week leading up. And my wife and I, uh, we were about three, two or three weeks late to the party. But I watched uh, the new Avengers and loved it because that's what the movies should be because it was not a dull moment it was almost three hours long and it just never stopped definitely and dozens and dozens for those of you who are listening first off if you haven't seen the movie already that we're not going to spoil it but i should because you should have seen it already by now that's all i'm saying um and and you know you haven't seen either of the the um guardians of the galaxy movies the first one when it came out and then when the second one started rolling around I was like okay I need to catch up and watch the first one and then catch that one and then I, I was on the fence because here's the here, I'm a fool because <laughs> I always make the same mistake and my wife tells me about it all the time because I'll see something come out and I'm like oh I don't care about that like Guardians of the Galaxy like I remember the comic yeah alright like I don't care yeah I'm sure it's good but whatever and then I'll see like, that happened with Thor Ragnarok. I was like, ah, whatever. And then I watched it, like, three, three weeks ago, and I was like, this is the best movie. I'm an idiot. Like, this is great. Yeah. So I'm sure I'll watch it and love it, because uh, I know the second one's on Netflix now, so I'll probably get a hold of the yeah. first one and give it a watch. If, but, if, you, uh, if yeah. you definitely like Thor Ragnarok, I think you'll definitely enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy. So, um, And a lot of, the, like, the, the way that they're... Apparently the person who wrote Guardians of the Galaxy also wrote their lines in... Uh, Avenge in the most recent Avengers movie, so the the pattern is very similar. So I think you'll love them. So um, okay, so let me circle back to a few things, uh, a few things that you mentioned in the lightning round here. Now I can ask a little bit longer questions. So why? Uh, so you said you had. Now. I can calm down. You, so you had a you had a you said you had a story about why you left the first time. So you debuted pretty early, like said so 2005, I think you said, and then you left yeah. for a good a good number of years. So what what? caused you to leave for a little while and then what what kind well, of what brought you gave you the urge to want to come back well I, I of course don't mind at all i think it's important uh, to keep your history out there especially when you live through some stuff uh, but you know i started training in 2004 and i had my first shows in 2004 i had my first I had my first match also on that card in 2005 where jeff jarrett Abyss and the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> so when I debuted in wrestling the first time, Dusty Rhodes was not only still alive, he was still wrestling. <laughs> so uh, I was very nervous. But you know, I've always been, I guess, the guys. A lot of the kids nowadays call me the, you know, like the old, old school guy, I guess, which I think is debatable. Uh, but I guess by those terms, I've always been kind of an old school fan. And uh, I grew up with the, the PWI magazines and all the black and white photos of NWA. And for years and years, I only had WTBS to watch wrestling on as a kid. So I definitely grew up a WCW, NWA guy. And uh, so it meant a lot to me. So I, I kind of was fighting that urge because I think as a young man, I felt that I needed to fit into the mold of something else. If you remember back to 04, 05, 06, we're talking about that's when the Indies had their big first uh, surge, I guess, you know, uh, since the territories died. So we're talking about like CM Punk and Chris Sabin and all the Ring of Honor had started up and all this stuff. So I kind of felt that I needed to fit into that mold, but I wasn't. 
that's not why I got into wrestling. So, so I spent a few years spinning my wheels, and I took to wrestling pretty quickly. My body was ready for it. I have a good mind for it. I kind of grew up around wrestling and, and at wrestling shows, my uncle's wrestling shows my whole life. So uh, I, I think I got good at it pretty quickly, uh, and I got the hang of it and the fundamentals, but my mind wasn't there, and I, and I grew up you know, very, very poor. I was a poor kid, and uh, that kind of transitioned into my adulthood. So as I spent years, my first few years in wrestling, it got more and more difficult to get to shows and everything, and, and I was very frustrated because I wasn't doing wrestling the way that I, I don't, I didn't know it at the time, but I know now that I wasn't doing it like I wanted to do it. I was trying to be a Ring of Honor guy or a TNA guy, you know, just trying to make it, but I was doing it for the wrong reason. So I ended up getting frustrated, depressed, you know, you know, legitimately depressed and um, had some problems. I, I was I was technically homeless for a good amount of time. I mean, I wasn't living on out of a box, uh, thankfully, but I didn't have a place to go. You know, I, I was out of money. I got I got really sick at one point, and I still don't know why. I ended up there was a match I was supposed to have. Uh, it was gosh, uh, it was probably two thousand seven or eight i can't remember but uh i i was living on a friend's couch and it was probably the third or fourth friend's couch i'd lived on you know because you couldn't stay very long someone would get mad but um i was just really struggling and i got really sick i was supposed to have a tag match with the irish airborne if you remember the, now they are uh, ove yeah dave and jake christ i was supposed to have a match with them but i was so sick that i my friend drove me to the emergency room and I ended up missing a shot and then I just kind of slowly faded away from there I would make less and less shows and then I kind of transitioned into some backstage stuff I was helping produce and help write put shows together and doing commentary and I and in my head I thought you know it was a nice little dream you had but wrestling's not for you you know blah 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 and I uh, just talked myself out of pursuing it I, and I realize now years later uh, you'll know uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a long-winded talker. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> uh, I just keep going and going. But um, I found out uh, years later, you know, through therapy and everything, which is about one of the best things that ever happened to me, was it's just a fear of failure, you know? It just thinks you're not going to make it or something. You're not going to be able to prove it to everybody, so you just sabotage yourself. And I think that's just partly what I did. But that led me into getting into theater. Um and uh, I, I've done since since I since I left wrestling, I did about thirty. I was a lead character, a lead role in, in over thirty plays and musicals, which I think is a substantial amount. And I I studied at Second City in Chicago. I had you know hundreds of hours of private lessons with private coaches and stuff. So I really threw myself into acting, and uh, it, it was through the Rocky Horror Show which was my first musical. I never thought I'd do a musical and I was so depressed because I loved Rocky Horror and I'd seen Young Frankenstein, the musical, always loved Mel Brooks and I thought, man, I'm never gonna do that. But I just went for it. I ended up getting cast in the lead role as Frankenfurter and met my wife who was playing Janet. And we ended up being best friends for five or six years and then we finally got together and uh, got married and she is the one heard me talking about wrestling and ah just she could hear it in my voice you know and uh she was just like so why aren't you doing it and i was like ah you know i tried it didn't work out it kind of chewed me up and spit me out type of thing and she's like no it didn't she's like what are you doing you know you love it why aren't you doing it give me a good answer and i didn't really have one she's like well then do it you love it and i was like yeah i guess it is that easy <laughs> so i i got on my it was thanksgiving uh, thanksgiving day 2015 
I got on my phone, I messaged Adam Johnson at Remix Pro Wrestling, and I said, this is a weird question, but how would you feel if I stepped back into the ring? Do you think you'd have any kind of spot for me? And he said, absolutely. How's April sound? That's, you know, the next show, how about April? I said, well, that's my birthday. And he's like, perfect, you're on. <laughs> and I just never looked back. <laughs> so now, now, doing some research, I was looking at some older matches. When you When you first started out, and correct me if I'm wrong on this one here, you were pretty much just like serious business, black, like black, it's like kind of black track jacket type of character going there. So it's very interesting that you, that you mentioned kind of Rocky horror show, because I can see a, a, a little bit of that, you know, now obviously kind of putting two and two together, it looks like, and I, and I could be wrong on this, you took a, a little bit of Frankenfurter maybe and brought that into what is now Magnum CK. Well, that's exactly it. So theater opened up everything because, again, I, you know, I've had some great people in my life and I had, you know, my grandparents, my, my, my grandfather especially, he's the one who instilled the work ethic into me and, and he always believed in me and, and my uncle, you know, like I said, you know, he always encouraged me, but I didn't talk much about what I wanted to do and that I wanted to pursue wrestling. I was almost embarrassed by it because, you know, the way I grew up, you didn't really pursue your dreams, you know, you just kind of waited for the next, hope for the next paycheck and it was just kind of a depressing existence. And so I kind of hit all that. And I think that kind of came through with my original deal in wrestling. I thought, well, if I want to be taken seriously, I have to be a big, serious, boring, you know, (laughs) brute. And then I got out of that. I discovered theater, you know, roles like Frankenfurter and countless others. Just, I just exploded, man. Like my, my personality, I was just able to tap into all these things. And I, and I learned, I was trained as an actor, you know, I learned all these things and, and I put my reps in and I, I swear to you is more than 10,000 hours of acting and, and rehearsing. I mean, it's so much. Um, and now when I came back to wrestling, uh, when I came back to, for the second run here, the, the first match, I was so nervous. And then I did my entrance and, and, and even the new gear I bought that first set of gear, it was a blah, black, black and white, you know, really basic. I had no idea what my character was going to be. I just went back to the old standby, the old wrestling that I already knew. And I got in the ring, and I looked around. I was the first match on the card, and I looked around, and I was like, dude, you're an idiot. This is a stage. This is, you're just on a square stage. It's theater in the round. They're all around you. This is just a play. You moron. Like, it's improv, and it's half scripted, and it's half, you know. And then I was like, boom, all my nerves completely melted away. I totally got it. I started looking out into the audience, making eye contact with people, connecting with the crowd. And I, it's just been a hundred miles an hour ever since then. And, 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 and it took me a little while. I struggled around for about a year or so when I first came back. And I've told this story a couple times, but I'll just give you the quick version because uh, I, I was at, I had a big show on a huge tag match. It was Devon Dudley was in it. And Marion Fontaine, it was, it was, it was a, we tore the house down. It was, it was, a, it was a blast. But I was sitting at dinner with my wife, and I was just feeling dejected. And she's like, what is wrong with you? Like, did he, why are you happy about this? Like, what's wrong? I was like, I don't know. I'm just not feeling it. And I bounced a couple of ideas off of her, you know. And she's like, just stop. And she's like, she put her fork down, and she just, like, looked at me, and she's like, all right, don't get mad at me, okay? And I was like, oh, geez, here we go. <laughs> and she's like, who do you love in wrestling? 
And I, you know, like, why do you do this? And I was like, well, you know, Ric Flair, Andy Kaufman, Rick Rude, you know, I named off to a hundred guys, Terry Funk, all these guys. And she's like, okay, so what do they do that you like so much? And I just kind of went off on all that and then details and broader sense of like, this is how Ric Flair made me feel. And I liked when Rick Rude did this and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, okay, do that. Yeah. And I, and I just kind of went, I just... I just was waiting for her to say more. And I was like, what do you mean? Do like, what? She's like, yeah, just do that. I mean, she's like, don't rip them off, but just whatever they did to make you feel that way, just do that for other people. And I was just like, it was like a Eureka, like, Oh my God. Like, it's that simple. Like, okay. (laughs) Like she's not a wrestling fan. She's my outside perspective all the time. And I was like, that's pure genius. And she's like, yeah, that's right. You know? (laughs) And so I immediately, the next day, I started looking into who, how can I get some capes made? I want extravagant gear. I want. I started. I went all the way over the top, and, and you know, it's, in the last nine to twelve months is when I've started doing all that, and it's just been like uh, it's been. I blow the roof off, man. Like it's just been like it all a big epiphany, and it's all because of my wife. <laughs> and, and you've got and the the funny part is, and, and like I said, I've been you know got to do a lot of research the last couple of days, kind of going through. YouTube videos and the like to see and and it was really funny because I think that debut match of when you returned where again you're back doing the same thing it's the black and white gear it's a, you can definitely see even in that time frame just watching videos from like you know February to to current it is an amazing transformation it's a lot of, and it's been a lot of fun to 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 kind of watch even you know from all the way down here in Florida, since obviously you're mostly up in the up in the north there. Um, but then, like I said, coming up with ideas, like I got to watch this one bit you did for, it wasn't for AIW, if I remember correctly, but uh, you did a game show called If You Wheel, um, which which was hysterical. So that, and everybody go look that up. I think it's on Magnum's uh, uh, Facebook, or not Facebook, pardon me. It's on Magnum's YouTube page. So go look that one up. Um I'll try to link it if I remember to when I when I do the hype for it as well. So, but um, yeah, that it's well, again, that whole thing is just taking the next level of entertainment because what I what I've come to think is, is I, as I realize I'm going to do it differently. So whereas before I thought, well, I want to be like CM Punk or I need to be a Ring of Honor guy back then or all that. that now I'm thinking, what's everyone doing? Okay. What are they not doing? I want to try to do that. Right. <laughs> you know, so I literally sit backstage and watch the shows and I'll adjust my match or adjust my thinking based on, okay, well, they did this and they did that and they did this. And I remember seeing that on the New Japan show. Okay, we got it. Uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to climb up to the second rope, try for an axe handle, and then get hit in the stomach and do a front flip like Ted DiBiase because they haven't seen that in 20 years. Right. <laughs> no, and uh, I don't know if, um, do, you, do you know about, about um, Effie at all? Have you heard of Effie? Yeah, that sounds very familiar. You'll need to you'll need to look Effie up because he's been a former guest on our show, but he's definitely um, becoming quite the name down here, especially in the South. Um, yeah. As he's he dubbed himself on our own show, uh, he was he's a big gay Stone Cold Steve Austin, which I think is a wonderful. <laughs> de- but he's talked about a very similar thing that he he'll stop and look at the show and go. What's nobody else doing? Because I, 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 what's everybody doing right now? Because that's I don't want to do any of that. I want to do whatever nobody else is doing on the show, just to you know because that's what's going to get noticed. It's like, you know, sure I can do eight million flips and the like, but we saw that eight eight times already today. So let's do something completely well, I can different. Tell you, like, 
so my wife sent me down this track, and I, I was fortunate enough to wrestle in front of William Regal and <clears throat> Gabe Sapolsky. You may have heard of these gentlemen. Yeah, once or twice. <laughs> they just might have a future in this business. I yeah. don't know. Uh, uh, Gabe said, I love the, you know, he gave me a ton. Uh, he, gave, he sent me an email and he gave me a ton of great feedback. You know, love the charisma, love the stagger cell, the Terry Funk type of thing. Like, you know, great, 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 great character work, like great facial expressions. And, all and he said, he put one note in there that I didn't, I, I couldn't make sense of until, of course, my wife had to tell me. But uh, he said, uh, believe it or not, I am a smart man. I, I, she has to tell me a lot of things, but I think I'm reasonably intelligent. But uh, he put in there, he said, make sure that your in-ring presence and persona matches your great robe and entrance. And I was like, what? And I was like, what does that mean? And I was like racking my head. I was like, maybe he meant to send that to someone else. I was like, no, but he mentioned the robe. Like, I was the only one who had the robe. Like, what is he talking about? And my wife said, she's like, listen, you know, you're in the, because I'm in the wrestling bubble. You know, all of us wrestlers think inside the wrestling bubble. Right. And thank God for people, people like my wife. Because she said, no, what he's saying is, you know, you have this great, unique entrance. And you have this great robe. And it's all, it's all one of a kind and all that. But then the bell rings. And then you start acting like just every other wrestler. And I was like, oh, I think I, and of course, you know, there's a part of you that's like, am I? Like, you get a little defensive in your mind. And then I started thinking about it, and I was like, yeah, she's right. Like, as soon as the bell rings, it's circle, lock up, take my arm, I'm going to slap my shoulder and scream about it, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. So then I took that advice from Gabe that she unpacked for me, and I started taking this big, long, grand entrance and cape that I have, and using that in the ring, and, and taking more command of the ring and I, and I don't yell and scream all the time I do facial expressions and body language so that when I do finally say something or yell it's like whoa like wow you know because some of these guys are out there and that's fine they're vocal the whole time and they're yelling and screaming but when I stand up after an elbow smash from the top and put my arms out and scream are you not sports entertained it means something because I haven't talked the whole time. I've just come out with my big slow entrance and made the William Regal frowny face at fans when they, you know, and all that and trying to make people laugh so that when I do come out. So anyway, long story short, too late, I, I make my in-ring style match the entrance, which is humongously flamboyant and theatrical. So now I'm interested because we've got a great line of theater going through here, and I'm I'm a theater geek myself. I've been doing theater since uh, eighth grade. Um, I, I I still don't think I've been quite as many shows as you have, which is amazing because I've been doing it for I think a lot longer than you have. So I just turned forty two. Um, but what what are some of the other shows? What are some of your other favorites? I mean, we've talked about Rocky Horror a little bit, and I definitely want to go back to that in a second. But what are some of the other shows that you've done that that have kind of influenced you? This was not exactly uh, considered a classic, but I had gotten tickets in about 2009 or something to see uh, Young Frankenstein, the Mel Brooks show. And I love Gene Wilder. I've always, I love that musical. It's so much fun. And it's just exactly what a Mel Brooks musical uh, you know, on stage should be. And I thought, man, I've always wanted to play Frederick. And then a couple of years ago, I got ended up getting cast as Frederick. And I got to do all my Gene Wilder type stuff, you know, and, and pay homage to one of my favorite actors of all time so that one definitely has a special place in my heart i got i got to play felix in the odd couple which was easily the most amount of lines i've ever had in my entire life and 
Pennywise, you know, Neil Simon, it's, it's, he writes like a, like a brick wall, you know, yes. like every line builds on top of the next and has to have, so it's funny because sometimes, you know, the guy I was, I was with, he would change some of the words and I don't know if he did it on purpose or an accident, so I'd have to be on my toes because he would change some of the lines and I'd have to listen and then give the line a different way to match the way he said it, so Odd Couple's another one, um, I've done Hairspray twice, I don't think I need to do Hairspray again. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I enjoyed it. But you know how it is. You know, you spend three or four months sometimes working on a show, and yeah. sometimes doing it again is like, okay, this is like half a year I've spent on one show. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, those are some that come to mind. I did even lesser known ones, like a little jukebox musical called All Shook Up. I got to play the Elvis type of role in that one. That one was a ton of fun. Uh, I played the boss. Uh, Mr. Hart in 9 to 5, that was a blast because you just got to be a big heel. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, tons come to mind. You know, uh, I, I kind of got away from, from plays for a little while just because so many musicals were, were auditioning. Um, but I got to do Man of La Mancha not that long ago, and that Very was nice. total. They cast me as Pedro, so I got the whip, and that was, that was a pro wrestling role. I mean, it is just cutting wrestling promos. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, and, and now for, for Rocky Horror Show being, being your first, and you got to play Frankenfurter, so you obviously have no issue with, uh, tights was obviously already not an issue, we knew that, um, so that obviously makes, uh, makes fishnets not that big of a deal either. Did you, did you, did you have an issue with your wife being called a slut for the first time you ever got to meet her by an audience? That's... <laughs> you know, it's funny, the guy who directed that version, well, they did, they did put me in the five-inch heels as well. Nice. They weren't all the, the platform Mary Janes either. Some of them were actual five-inch high heels. So I, because I had you know six or seven different outfits, but uh, so I got to learn how to do that, and 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 that was that's a unique experience. Yeah. But, um, the guy who directed this particular version was a big fan of the Broadway revival. That was the version we were doing, the 2000-2001 revival. Yeah. And one of the big things with that revival is they had the audience doing the catcall stuff, you know, right. where they yell the stuff out. So he encouraged all that and sold the bags and stuff where people could throw, you know, throw all the stuff, the cards in the air and everything, mm-hmm. and spoon, you know, all that. And, uh, so he encouraged all the yelling out. So it was actually a blast, but it was funny because uh, I got so used to because some we did midnight showings, we did regular shows, and then we'd come circle back around and do a midnight showing. So they were just exhausting nights. But the midnight shows were always rowdier because everyone was probably drunk. Yeah, gotcha. Yelled out a lot. So then you'd come in the next day to do the the normal show time, and I'd be pausing, waiting for people to yell stuff out, and then they didn't, and I was like, oh, wait, okay. <laughs> so it's kind of a movie. It doesn't have to sit and wait for you to yell stuff out, but I'm sitting there trying to wait. But he let me, he gave me free reign. I got to I got to break the fourth wall and talk with the audience, and if they were yelling too much, I could talk to them and react, you know. And that role was a life changer because I went from just doing plays here and there and everything to playing the most flamboyant, character arguably in, in, in all of theater. Oh god yeah. And if I can say if I can say it to myself, I positively nailed it. I mean it was just I just it was the first time in my life I ever said, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I'm gonna unleash something awesome and uh, I'm not gonna hold back. And that's something I, I do a lot of directing now. Um uh, and I tell that to actors all the time. I'm like, do not be afraid to look stupid because the only time on stage that you ever look stupid is if you're afraid to look stupid. Right. <laughs> like everyone you love in the theater 
they all are just going for it 110 percent and that's why they're good at it Definitely. so i just i didn't care what anyone thought about me dressing up like the sweet transvestite and all that and i just went for it and i've never had the chills like i did every night when i came out at the beginning of sweet transvestite they had me come out of a sarcophagus type of thing and i'd pop out with my big cape on oddly enough a big golden cape <laughs> and i for one part of the song i threw my arms up and the cape went flying and like it was like the rock and roll express man like all the girls <laughs> the audience, probably some of the guys <laughs> you know uh, it was just the, the greatest reaction ever so uh, that, that's I, I ended up getting for that run because that show even before we opened meant so much to me i got the, the heart uh, boss tattoo on my left shoulder very nice now the uh, yeah. I did the, I did Rocky Horror uh, with my theater company back in D.C. We used to perform out of a, a the bar district in D.C. called Adams Morgan, and we would do ten wow. o'clock shows. So similar to your midnight shows, people are probably half in the can on that one. Um, my the guy we had playing Frankenfurter was uh, a before the heels six foot four bald uh, black gentleman. Uh, who was absolutely who was absolutely spot on in the show, and he accidentally said uh, he, he mixed up a line one night, and one of the audience members tried to call him out on it because, of course, they know the show back and forth. Um, right. And he he slowly stepped up in five inch, you know, like five inch boots. So he's standing close to seven feet, gets right in this guy's face, and go, "Do I look like Tim fucking Curry?" Does this look like a fucking movie? Well, then I'll say it however the fuck I want, and just went on with it. It was so good, but um, yeah, that's so that was similar because I, you know, we were allowed to say whatever we wanted, yeah, and that was the same thing because there were there was one night. So I'm legitimately six feet four as well. So in the heels, I was about six nine. Yeah, but I, I had the similar experience, and then it, I, I had a reaction like that to someone uh, who was yelling out you know, during the crowd things. And it was fine. I just decided to mess with them. I told them to shut the F up, you know, or whatever, in rhythm with what they were saying. And, uh, and uh, it got such a big reaction, I just kept it every night, and it got yeah. a huge laugh, you know. So it's yeah. nice when you can do those shows where you get to play a little bit. It's not, like, not like Sondheim, where it's like, listen, you can't ad-lib because it's going to throw everything off, yeah. you know. Ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you jabronis, it's Sean and Dave here. Did you grow up on WWE and refuse to grow out of it? We have the show for you, Eat Sleep Podcast Repeat. Courtesy of FM 99 WNOR, we are a weekly wrestling podcast. Join us as we go over WWE news, programming, superstar interviews, and discuss topics and questions from you, the listener. Including some really god-awful celebrity impressions. Not that bad. They're, they're really bad, Dave. Find us on FM99.com under the media tab and major podcast apps, including iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search ESPR. Let me segue this. So we'll, we'll stop the theater. We'll stop the theater cast for a little while here, but kind of, but kind of not. Talk to us a little bit about the production. Obviously, I'm biased, but I positively love it. It's the brainchild of, uh, of John Thorne from AIW, and, and it, it, it was another nail in my coffin, I suppose, of figuring out this whole uh, this whole character in this direction because it wasn't – so I, I kind of was going full speed ahead and with all the, the, the charisma and just let myself go and everything, and it wasn't until John contacted me about doing a theater-type group that I realized I have – almost 15 years of theater experience 
why am I not using that? And, you know, it's not, not to say that I have to play a character that's completely, you know, a theater geek or whatever, but just using all of that. And then that was another kind of aha moment where I was like, oh, wow, yeah. He saw me and saw a guy who has a ton of theater experience. Let's put him in this group of theater guys and start this new group. And I didn't even see it. So, it's, again, I say this all the time as a director, and it's good advice for anybody because – I open up my shows for creativity when we're rehearsing because I positively love the rehearsal process. I love the creating. I love making it. And nine times out of ten, the best idea is, you know, like, well, like all these great bits and stuff in my shows that I direct, I don't come up with all of them. What happens is I create a, an environment where people are allowed to create, just like John Thorne does with AIW, right? So some actor inevitably will come up with a great idea or something that they just do spontaneously because I've given them enough freedom to do that. And I'll be like, boom, great idea. We're keeping that. That's fantastic. Or I'm approachable enough to where they can say, hey, I have this idea. And I always say... Tell me every idea you have, because I'm just the director. I don't have to have every idea. I just have to recognize the good ones. So I think that that's important. So so uh, staying open to John's idea of doing his theatrical group, because originally the story goes it wasn't supposed to be a group, because what happened was uh, at a remix pro wrestling show, uh, you just tell me if I'm going too long. Uh, uh, at a remix pro wrestling show, uh, Chandler Biggins was very sick, and uh, they thought he was going to die uh, that night. And he, he pulled through a little bit, and he lasted a few more weeks before he passed. And uh, anyhow, I just went up to John Thorne. I knew Chandler. I didn't know John. I'd never wrestled for AIW, and I never really pursued it. I knew Chandler, but Chandler and I just talked mostly about podcasts and stuff like that and old wrestling stuff. And I never wanted – he was my – you know, he, I felt weird trying to get booked through – you know, it felt like he would be taking advantage of – you know, I just want to talk to him as a person. So I went up to John, and I talked to him for about 20 minutes. And I didn't mention wrestling one time. I didn't mention uh, AIW a single time. I just went up to him as a person whose friend was possibly dying in the hospital, who I also knew. And we just talked for about 20 minutes. And I shook his hand, and I went to shake his hand, and he gave me a hug, and I left. Well, a couple of months go by. When I found out later through his podcast, actually, he mentioned that he said that night he didn't know what it would be, but I got I to gotta have a spot for that guy. He didn't even hadn't even seen me really wrestle that much or anything. He just thought that's a good, that's a good guy, which I appreciate very much. So a few months go by, I get a message out of the blue from John Thorne on Facebook, and he says, "Can you make these four dates?" And it was a July, um, August, September, October uh, date, uh, four dates. And I said, "Yes, I can make all of them except July." And July was Absolution. 12, the biggest show of the year with Arn freaking Anderson, like one of my heroes. And I'm like, my hand is shaking because I've been waiting because I wanted to be in AIW so long. And I'm sending him this message thinking my whole career is going to end because I can't make one show. And he said, because he said, I have this idea. Uh, you're a big guy. Yeah, Frankie Flynn, he's doing a theater thing. Have you come in kind of be his bodyguard type of guy? Now, I can't guarantee you'll wrestle on every show, but you'll probably be in a segment no matter what. And I was like, yes, but I can't make July. And he's like, absolution? And I was like, yes, believe me, I feel like I'm going to throw up. <laughs> but I signed a contract with to do hairspray. Uh, and they were paying me quite a bit, and I would have to pay all that back. You 
know, it'd be breach of contract. I couldn't do it. And I told him the situation, and he said, even better, because it's a theater thing. Tell you what, we'll make it work. So because I couldn't make absolution, what they did was they put Derek and this guy named Colby, they put him and they made it, they decided from that point on to make it a group. And then the next show I debuted, like surprise debut out of the crowd. And uh, then it all went from there. So it was actually, again, it's a good testament to don't get too bummed out while you're in the middle of it because everything always works out in the end. Because I thought, well, my career's over. Uh, my AIW chance is gone because I can't make absolution. And it ended up being the best thing because now we have this great group. So, and um, you mentioned Chandler Biggins. Obviously, we've got a couple things going on this coming weekend here, and they're both, I, I hate the fact that they're both memorial shows, but I love the fact that they're putting this much talent together to to do this. One of them is the uh, JT Lightning Tournament, which you're uh, involved with, or the J-Lit, as you hear it called a lot. And then they're doing also doing a Chandler Biggins, uh, looks like a, a Chandler Biggins Tag Team Tournament coming up here. Talk a little bit about uh, uh, kind of both those shows and, you know, so people know a little bit more about them. Well, you're right. It is a huge collection of, of talent. You know, you look at 24 guys in the J-Lit tournament. It's, it's such a weird, eclectic, and awesome group of guys. And then the tag teams and the tag team tournament's the same thing. Uh, I keep saying, you know, leading into this thing, that to me, it's less about those, those guys and more about the two people that were uh, keeping the memory alive for. And it was a crazy thing seeing that graphic come up, you know, the Chandler Biggins Memorial Tag Turner. It was just like it just all felt so, it was like reality kind of smacking you in the face. But Chandler Biggins, uh, you know, he and, he and John built AIW in Cleveland, and they built it up to what it is now. And they would never have been able to do that if JT Lightning hadn't come before them with Cleveland All Pro Wrestling. Uh, uh, you know, I met JT when I was eight years old. He had his first match for my uncle in 1994. And I didn't tell JT that for a long time. I wrestled for him at Cleveland All Pro. And it took me three or four shows before I finally told him who my uncle was just because I didn't want to be that guy, you know, being like, hey, yeah, you know. You know, you worked for my uncle. So when I did finally tell him, his face lit up like Christmas, man. Like he was so happy. And because uh, I just had so much respect for him, I just didn't want, uh, I just wanted to wait for some reason. I don't know why I just felt right. But um, so if you look at any city, you know, I'm sure even where you are, there's probably a top wrestling federation or maybe even two if you're lucky. And then a bunch of really kind of muddy ones. <laughs> you know, so. Cleveland All-Pro was top-notch, man. I loved it. It was a great organization. They brought in not only guys like Tracy Smothers and Chris Hamrick and all that, uh, you know, but they would bring in uh, – I remember seeing Brian Danielson on a show I was on and Samoa Joe, you know, I think both times when they were Ring of Honor champion and CM Punk was there a bunch of times and uh, Cesaro back when he was Claudio Castagnoli. You know, all these guys he brought – amazing talent and he created new talent you may have heard of a gentleman named johnny gargano uh he came through there you know and he's not the only one uh so it's just somebody i saw a quote today that said a thousand candles can be lit by one flame and uh jt lightning was that flame man i mean he really loved wrestling he ran thousands of shows he lived it and breathed it you could see it when you talk to him and I'm one of the few guys on the on the tournament this year who had actually worked for him in the past. Um, 
it. So that means a lot to me. You know, I've always wanted to be a part of JLIT, and when I got the invitation, I was super pumped. And uh, to get to on Saturday, I'll get to watch the Chandler Biggins uh, tag tournament, and, and I'm looking forward to that. But it's just about you know these two guys dedicated their lives to pro wrestling, and when what is that exactly? You know, it's 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 entertaining people i mean you know people can say what they want about promoters and sure in the past i've i've, I've met a lot of promoters that would uh you know they, they'd be loath to give you a, a bologna sandwich and a handshake you know let alone pay you i've definitely met those guys but there are a lot of them out there who they genuinely just want to put on a good product and entertain people and it's not a cash grab it's because they love it that is the most noble pursuit you know as, as you are also a theater guy why do you do it it's to entertain people you don't know why it's just in your blood it's in your body it's not i mean i guess it takes a certain amount of ego to take your shirt off and wrestle around and expect people to come watch it and pay for it or to put on makeup and sing a song and expect someone to pay for it but it's less about ego and it's more about i feel like i was put on this earth to put together a wrestling show and entertain people or become a wrestler and make people laugh and smile or become an actor, you know, and, and entertain millions of people. It's just, it's a noble pursuit and it's necessary uh, as human beings. So what we've done is, if you think about it, I was saying this the other night, how many people pass away or pass on and that's just it. You know, they don't, they don't leave anything behind, but now someone like JT lightning and someone like Chandler Biggins, they get to be remembered for the great things that they brought, not only Cleveland, but the entire world as, as now a lot of their stuff's visible, uh, for the entire world. So it's about, it's about remembering two great people in, in, in entertainment as far as I'm concerned. Definitely. And, and tell everybody who your first round opponent is. Let's let's get that fun. Let's get that fun part out of the way. Oh, Swago! I was so happy. Listen, I know these interviews. Sometimes it's yeah, I'm gonna golly gee, I, I'm gonna get the match of my life and come out on top. You know, and sometimes it's all inside baseball. But I I can't help but smile when I think about Magic CK versus Swoggle because I've only had one other match with Swoggle and we barely touched in it. I don't even know if we did. It was a it was a three way tag match. It was Jock Sampson and myself against Swoggle and Colt Cabana and uh, Grado and Bubba Ray Dudley. So it was a weird group of folks, but yeah. we barely touched. I, th I think I came in the ring. He ducked out of the way. I hit the corner and Colt Cabana bit me on the butt. If I remember right, that sounds about <laughs> so, right. Yeah, yeah. I, so I've known Swoggle for a little while now, and of course through AIW, you know, backstage, he's someone I always gravitate to just not only because he's a wealth of knowledge, because one thing I think people don't understand, and fans might not understand just because they see the character, is this guy has been around, man. I mean, he was a worldwide superstar with the WWE for how long, and came back at their Royal Rumble in Saudi Arabia, didn't miss a beat, was still over, you know? So this guy knows wrestling. He's a wrestler. He has a wrestling computer, man. I mean, he loves it, and he's very creative. And I consider myself decently creative as well. So when I think about the two of us sitting down and and trying to bring some entertainment, some sports entertainment to people, I'm very excited by that. So I didn't even know what my match was for, for Jalen. I found out when everyone else did. And I kind of like it that way. But anytime I look down at my phone and I see AIW wrestling. Has, has tagged you in a post, I'm always like, oh, man, like, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. I don't mind. I'm not one of those wrestlers who's too cool and doesn't get excited. I, I get I get pumped up. And I opened it, and I saw, I looked at the photo, 
and I saw myself and Swaggle, and I, I remember where I was standing, you know, it was like a flashball memory, and then I had to, like, close my eyes and look again, like, is that right? And I looked, and I was like, oh, man, that's perfect, because when I, uh, they announced me, of course, I was pumped, and they, they announced Swaggle in the tournament last, I thought, well, I wonder who they're going to pull a Swaggle, and I kind of had a couple ideas in my mind, and I just kind of dismissed it and moved on, and I, none of those ideas were me, but when, as soon as I saw the picture, I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> well, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing seeing that match. And what now? What are some of the ways that that we can that we can see that? Are they are, is that going to be broadcast at one point? And how do they? How are we? How can other people see the show? Well, you have a couple of ways actually, and I've used both, and they both work very well. So, within very quick order, the show is available on SmartMark Video. And I do the downloads. I buy the downloads because then I can put it on my hard drive. I don't have to have a DVD or anything. Um, but also Powerbomb TV, powerbomb.tv. Uh, they, they stream all the shows on there afterward, too. They don't do the live stream because it's just the, the Wi-Fi situation is a little finicky. Um, but, yeah, Powerbomb TV and Smartmark Video, and like I said, they put their shows up fast. Nice. So it's it, if you can't get there... Uh, for the weekend, which I recommend if you're within any kind of reasonable driving distance to get there, uh, because it's just three shows over two days, and it's just it's going to be an absolute party and positivity, and, and, and it's going to be a great time. And those are your best bets. So now, um, we have a few questions that we end every episode with. One of them uh, we lovingly refer to as the Trevin Adams Memorial Question. Even though Trevin isn't actually dead, um, it, it goes as thus... Uh, you have been a wrestler for quite a long time now, and uh, like Uncle Bob Evans says, sometimes you got to do the drives. Uh, it's late at night. You are driving, let's say it's 2 o'clock in the morning. You are famished. You see uh, a shining beacon coming over a hill as you're, uh, as you're driving. You know you're about to pull over and get something to good to eat. Is that shining beacon a Sheets, or is that shining beacon a Wawa? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this, but this is so controversial. But it is... Now, listen, first of all, any old port in a storm, okay? Right. But I will say, because uh, I've eaten at some terrible places, and I've, I've, had to sac- I've made the sacrifice <laughs> more than once, but unequivocally, in my mind, sheets all the way. And, 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 that, the way. and that is, in my opinion, the one and only correct answer. So, because, yes, dude, made the order, it's fresh. I don't care if it's four in the morning, and right. oftentimes it is. Sheets have saved my life because, you know, when you get tired sometimes, the best thing to do is grab something to eat. Right. Uh, keep you awake, give you more energy. I have stopped and gotten made to order burritos and burgers and whatever else, and it's it's all fresh because you can customize it. They make it fresh. It's the best. Absolutely. Sheets, sheets <laughs> bar none, above Wawa, uh, to my normal co-host, Zach Romero, who is not here with us this week, uh, you can suck it. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> Now on to our uh, to our infamous final two questions. One of them obviously starts up a, a little on the uh, a little on the dark side, but it kind of fits in with with some of our conversation earlier today. Uh, in the performance art uh, that we call professional wrestling, we tend to lose a lot of talent early. Uh, so, with that being said, if you could bring anybody back uh, to work with in a match, to learn from, uh, you know, to do a segment with, who would that wrestler be and why? Oh. That's a very tough question, but I, 
Currently in my mind, I'm torn between two people, but I'll, just because I hate to be that person to be like, well, it has to be these two. I, I'll pick one, but just so you know, it, it's a tough call because there are two people who are just a past who are absolutely top of my list of, of childhood heroes. But although I think my second pick, we might be able to get a better segment, my pick has to be the first wrestler death that ever really broke my heart because he was my favorite, Ravishing Rick Rude. To get to do a segment with Rick Rude would be amazing. But my, I can tell you my second pick, if, if you want. Please, go ahead. My second pick, which I think would be a better segment, because I think we're both nut, we're both nut jobs, would be Andy Kaufman. Because I, I don't know what we'd do, but it would, be, it would probably be nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Two excellent choices, by the way. And, um... I'm actually. I don't. I have to think about if 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 Rick Rude has come up recently, which is always a, an amazing choice that I'm I'm sad more people don't immediately go to because usually it's um uh and don't get me wrong the two picks that we normally get are are excellent but uh, Eddie Guerrero and Macho Man Randy Savage tend to be like the top two, um which are yeah. great choices but yeah there's there's definitely something to be said about ravishing Rick Rude. Um, well, the thing I always say about is people always say who's the best wrestler of all time, and that's subjective. I mean, there's a top 30 list of people, or maybe even 10 or 15 you could pick from, but I always think who are my favorites, and Rick sure. is up at the top. Uh, question two. Uh, we here at the IndyCast believe that all animals in nature have certain traits to assist with their survival. Uh, giraffes have long necks, rhinos have the big horns, etc., etc. We believe that the human's trait is the ability to use tools. So, with that being said, Magnum CK, if you could fight any animal, what animal would it be and what weapon do you use? Oh, that's a hard one because I like animals. I don't want to fight an animal. But, um, because it's funny. I mean, I listen, I definitely eat meat. <laughs> I just don't want to be the one to do it. You know? Right. But, uh, let me think about that. So, so uh, my first thought that came to my mind is probably just a wrestler's brain was a bear. Okay. Uh, because I think that all uh, the legendary uh, wrestling bears, and I think if I'm going to pick a tool, I have to go with the most, since I picked a wrestling animal and a bear, I have to go with the most devastating tool that a wrestler could ever use i'm gonna spin that wheel make a deal the coal miners nice (laughs) wonderful double reference there with with one of the the (laughs) i loved the idea for that match and was and have never been more sad to see a coal miners glove come up than right then and there what a wonderful idea for a match that was failed in execution Good God. <laughs> and then, you know, at one point in the match, I'll grab a snake and pretend like it's biting me and powder to the back. There you go. And screw in my contract and all that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> so, well, uh, Magnum, this is your uh, opportunity in a, uh, in a segment here that uh, we have gotten permission from uh, the man himself, one Mr. Brian Cage, to lovingly call, get your shit in. Uh, this is your opportunity for uh, you to let the, the uh, fans know where they can find your social media, where they can get your merchandise, uh, anything like that. The floor, sir, is yours. Well, don't fast forward this, listener, because I know myself, 
And I know you, and I know that's what people do. Because I'm going to, I'll make it quick. But uh, Twitter and Instagram are at the Magnum CK. The Magnum CK. Twitter's my, my favorite. On Instagram, I, I post a lot of wrestling photos and stuff, but Twitter's the best. I, I, I like to talk to people. Uh, I'm a very sociology-minded uh, person. I like to get to know people and talk to them and all that. But uh, more importantly than all that, is a little website called shop.airwrestling.com because that's where you get your weekend passes for Jalen, baby. Selling those tickets on the IndyCast. Um, but, but honestly, Twitter's the best. I, I would love to interact on there. Um, several dozen, op, you know, dozens of opportunities in my life and career have happened just because of Twitter. So let's, let's hook it up on there, support everybody. Um, you know, I, I think the cool thing about wrestling right now and the big difference between my first time around to wrestling and now is there's a lot more positivity. I know the internet can be a dark, dirty place, you know, Twitter can be rough, but there's a lot of positivity out there too. And I think fans are more a part of the show than ever. And I would love to see more positive interactions on Twitter. So let's have fun out there guys. Very nice. And everybody, uh, uh, well, first off, Magnum, Magnum TK, thank you for being on. Uh, you are, by the way, officially, I don't know if I said it at the beginning, but I'll definitely say it at the end, you are the first guest of our official fifth season. So thank you for uh, for joining us and yes. uh, and opening up our, our uh, fifth season with us, five years of the IndyCast. Uh, and to all of our dozens and dozens that listen on a regular basis, thank you once again for tuning in to the IndyCast. Uh, until next time, everybody, I am, as always, Chad Allen. And as always, we say... Deuces. By the way, stay tuned. We've got our uh, we've got our fun little uh, uh, montage back at the end of it, and that's going to start right now. Well, hope I don't poop today. Oh God, just shove it in my face. I'm ready to greet the day, you fucker. <laughs> Every single one of you guys has made a horrible decision. <laughs> it's that dirty ass Meryl Street. We it's are. True. We're touching wieners. Not touching wieners true. professionally. What I am is a big queer Stone Cold Steve Austin. So hey, Zach Romero. I bet you didn't know this. It's supposed to be a wrestling podcast. Oh, is it? Oh, be on my. <laughs>